I would imagine that there are a lot of people who are going to hear about this study and they're going to be like, mm, yeah, it sounds pretty good, but soy just makes me nervous. You do hear these myths quite a lot and it goes like this. Soy products have isoflavones in them, which are natural compounds, but maybe those compounds could cause breast cancer. It's important to look at the data on this. What they found kind of blew everybody away. The connection between soy and cancer was that soy reduced the risk of breast cancer. And it, it did it quite a lot by about 29%. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 59 of season four, number 254 overall. And this also happens to be part two of our three-part series on the WAVES study. And that's just a cool name for a study about hot flashes. And as we learned in part one, four out of five women will suffer from them during menopause. And that means that four out of five women will be losing sleep and feeling uncomfortable and maybe even feeling like they're losing their mind because these hot flashes just won't stop. And a lot of women, they may also feel like they've lost hope. They've given up. That is, until now. Because what this research offers is a glimmer of light for that hopeless feeling. The study shows that women who switched to a low-fat plant-based diet that includes soy experienced an 84% reduction in moderate to severe hot flashes. 84%! And that's without any additional hormone therapies or medication. And for a lot of women, the hot flashes disappeared altogether. On the program today, we will be focusing on one particular part of that diet. We're going to be zeroing in on that daily dose of soy. Because there is a lot of information out there about soy. And it can be hard to separate what's true from what's not. We've even done the soy myth-busting shows right here on the exam room. But today we're going to go even deeper on those real facts about soy and whether it should have been getting this bum rap for all of these years. And to help us decipher a soy fact from soy fiction is Dr. Neil Barnard. He'll be answering some of your questions as well when we open up the doctor's mailbag. And also today, inspiration. We'll be continuing our conversations with women who have done what many say is unthinkable. They brought their hot flashes under control without that hormone therapy. Instead, they used only what was in their kitchen. Today, you will hear the story of Anne-Marie Pedrick. I had the opportunity to speak with her recently, and I asked her to walk us through her experience, what she learned, and how those horrific hot flashes that had been burning out of control became well-contained. But first, let's do a little fact versus fiction, soy edition, with Dr. Neil Barnard. 
Soy is just one of those controversial foods. It seems that no matter what new data comes out there, soy is always chastised as the enemy of a healthy diet. And in some cases, a lot of people can even say it puts your health in grave danger. But let's talk about what that other data is and let's separate the truth from the lies. We're separating fact from fiction all about soy today. And this is part two of our special series on this groundbreaking new study that is providing relief to millions of women who are going through menopause and soy is playing a prominent role in this. And so to separate that fact from fiction for us today is Dr. Neil Barnard. Sir, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Chuck. So part one of this podcast series, we learned about the WAVE study and the promising results that it offered. And then we also learned, as I said, that soy is a huge part of the study. But I would imagine, because of the prevailing theories about soy, that there are a lot of people who are going to hear about this study and they're going to be like, mm, yeah, it sounds pretty good, but soy just makes me nervous. Um, you do hear these myths quite a lot. And the, the big one is... Um goes like this. Soy products have isoflavones in them, which are natural compounds, but maybe those compounds could cause breast cancer because they might adhere to the estrogen receptor. If you go online, you'll see lots and lots of writing like this, um, and which also means that scientists have had a lot of time to study it and see what it is. Um, Chuck, let me show you uh, a couple of slides really quickly, if you don't mind, because it's important to look at the data on this. Sure. Um, in 2008, researchers did a meta-analysis, and that's where you combine the results of prior studies. In this case, it was eight prior studies. And the groups that they really focused in on were people who consumed a lot of soy. So you could see, is it safe if you consume it in pretty large, large quantities? tofu, soy milk, miso, tempeh, every day. So they looked at Asians and Asian Americans. And what they found kind of blew everybody away. The connection between soy and cancer was that soy reduced the risk of breast cancer. And it, it did it quite a lot by about 29%. In other words, the women consuming the most soy had 29% less risk of breast cancer compared to women who kind of neglected soy. So soy looks like a preventive, but they went further. Uh, at least five different studies have looked at women who had cancer treatment already. And in some cases, they avoid soy afterwards. In some cases, they continue to have it. It turns out that those women who, conti who continue to have soy, those having the most soy, greatly reduce their likelihood of dying of cancer. Um, and in this slide that you're seeing, the red bar those are women who didn't have much soy. They had very high mortality. The yellow bar is women who had a lot of soy. They had had in the past estrogen receptor negative cancers. That's one kind of cancer. The green is estrogen receptor positive cancers. Um, all the women had had cancer in the past, but those who consumed the most soy had about a 25 to 30% reduction in the likelihood of their cancer coming back and killing them. And that was true regardless of the cancer type, whether it was estrogen receptor negative or positive. So bottom line here is that soy doesn't cause cancer and it doesn't accelerate cancer growth. It does the opposite. So coming back to this myth, on the screen now I'm putting up the, the three uh, major isoflavones that you get from soy, genistein, daidzein, glycetine. And there are actually two different kinds of estrogen receptors. 
there is the estrogen receptor alpha, which is mostly in breast tissue and the uterus tissue, and estrogen receptor beta, which is in bone and in the urogenital system and in your blood vessels. And so it turns out that the isoflavones mostly affect the estrogen receptor beta. Now, it's more complicated than this, but the way to think about it is that sometimes something that attaches to a receptor, it's like stepping on the gas. It's accelerating whatever that receptor will do. There are other times where it's like stepping on the brake and stopping bad things from happening. So the soy isoflavones are the brake. Uh, they seem to reduce the likelihood of getting cancer. And if you got cancer, they help to survive. So there you have it, Chuck. Yeah, let me let me jump in here and actually ask you a question. So we just saw that slide that was talking about the re reduction in risk of cancer, but then I'm thinking about the fat content that is found in soy. And as we've talked about previously on the exam room, a diet high in fat really puts you at risk for all kinds of chronic diseases, including cancer. So uh, with soy being a quote unquote, fattier bean, really, I mean, help me understand what's happening here. Um, it's a great question, uh, Chuck. We don't have all the answers, but when we look at the legumes, you know, black beans, pinto beans, navy beans, and so forth, um, they're extremely low in fat. Maybe 4% of their calories are in fat, but there are some exceptions. You know, peanuts are a legume. Um, as your friends will tell you, they're not a true nut, they're a legume, and they're really fatty. And soy is kind of between, the, say, the black bean and the peanut something like uh, 40, 45, 47% of its calories come from fat. So it's fattier than others, um, which is perhaps why it's so um, useful in culinary applications. The fat quality is much healthier and the isoflavone content, which is sort of the natural magic against uh, menopausal symptoms is much, much higher than we see in other uh, beans. So that seems to be what does the, what, what does the benefit. So a lot of what we're talking about right now, specific to breast cancer, but I know that there are a number of men who also listen to this show, a high number of men uh, that listen to this show. So I'm, I'm curious if some of these same principles also translate to, say, prostate cancer. Um, they do. Um, we need more research here. And the research we have on prostate cancer is not as advanced in the world of nutrition as is, say, with breast cancer. However, uh, the studies that have been done show that the uh, improvement in preventing uh, a bad outcome of prostate, of in prostate cancer is about the same magnitude as for women with breast cancer. In other words, plant-based diet, getting away from dairy, but adding the soy-based foods seems to be helpful too. All right. I feel like uh, I kind of interrupted this wonderful presentation. So why don't we go ahead and, and uh, hop back in there? Uh, let me pull this back up for those of you who are listening right now. I've pulled it back up on the screen. Uh, you can check this out if uh, you want. It's on our YouTube channel, and there's a link to that in the episode notes right now. But Dr. Barnard, as you were, my friend. Okay. Um, I'd actually like to just tackle a question that's going to be on a lot of people's minds is why don't you just prescribe estrogen. Say, so give, give a woman a prescription, it'll knock out her hot flashes. And you know what? It will. Um, however, go online or look at the piece of paper that comes with your estrogen prescription. And in the prescribing information, you see what's called a black box warning. This is required by the FDA. And here's what it says. If you take estrogen alone, and, and this is any, any brand, um, it increases the risk of endometrial cancer, that's uterine cancer, stroke, deep vein thrombosis, that's blood clots in your legs, uh, and dementia. 
And if you take the combination of estrogen and of progestin, which is the, the, more, the more usual way because the progestin is there to prevent the endometrial cancer, but it increases the risk of breast cancer and stroke and deep vein thrombosis and dementia, and we're gonna add myocardial infarction, heart attacks. All of these things are linked to, to these prescriptions. Um, now, when we discuss this with our medical colleagues, there's a huge amount of debate on this. But the Lancet weighed in in 2019 with a big, big, big study. They did a meta-analysis combining the results of 58 prior studies, and it was huge. They looked at more than 100,000 women who had developed breast cancer and tried to sort out what was the role of HRT. Here's what they found. The doctor prescribes HRT, says we're only gonna keep you on this for a couple of years. If you used it for one to four years and then you stopped, your risk of getting breast cancer is 17% higher if all you took was the estrogen. And if you took the combined estrogen and progestin, it is now 60% higher. Let's say you stuck with it five years, six years, seven years. Now, if you just are taking estrogen, 33% increased risk if you're taking a combination, 108% risk. So that's about a, a doubling of it. And the Lancet authors made this chilling conclusion. And, and let me just read it to you. In Western countries, there have been about 20 million breast cancers diagnosed since 1990, of which about a million would have been caused by menopausal hormone therapy use. Um, now, if everybody is, is, is thinking this is terrible, and it is, there is a little bit of a, a, a good news. Um, some women will use estrogens, not the ones that you swallow and not the patch, because those are designed to go systemically, to, to, to uh, change how your, your whole body feels. There are some women who, who use only vaginal estrogens and they'd use that just so that they don't, they don't have vaginal dryness and pain on intercourse. And there's not that much uh, systemic absorption. And in the Lancet analysis, that didn't do anything. It didn't have any danger that they could, could uh, detect. So that seems to be okay. Um, so there you have it. Um, the uh, estrogen prescribing information says use uh, them either with or without uh, progestins at the lowest effective dose for the shortest duration consistent with treatment goals and risk for the average women. And so what's the shortest duration is um, zero. So uh, back to you, Chuck. I, I have to say, I really think that based on the work that we've been able to do with diet approaches and comparing them to the risks of the drug approaches, rather than negotiate with, gee, how many years can I get away with this uh, before cancer hits me? I think the answer is, let's work on the cause. The cause is diet to a great degree, and we can fix that. And now let's talk about uh, a big part of that diet that was uh, this study. And that was, I believe it was a half a cup of soybeans uh, that uh, the participants were asked to eat every single day. And as we said at the top of this segment, Soy is a controversial little bean, Dr. Barnard, and I know that uh, that information you were talking about that's floating around on the internet, uh, boy, there is an awful lot of it out there. So uh, with the time that we have remaining today, I would love to be able to talk about some of those bigger myths and and see what the, what the actual data says. Um, I guess there are a number of issues. Um, probably the number one question that we hear about after cancer is, what about genetically modified beans? Um, and I think that's a legitimate concern. Uh, there are so many GMO crops out there. When I go back to my childhood home in 
North Dakota. I see all along, all on this side of the highway, it's the GMO corn, and on this side of the highway, it's GMO soy. But the good news is um, that when you buy uh, a pack of um, tofu or something like that, it, it has the word organic on it. By law, it cannot be GMO. The GMO soy is cattle feed, um, chicken feed, feed for hogs. Uh, the people who need to think about this are the meat eaters who are getting the cholesterol and the fat and the GMO uh, feed crops that are going into animals. So, so GMO, I think it's a legitimate issue, but when you're buying organic soy, it is, it is, it is a non-issue. Let me ask you this, uh, kind of going back to where soy got its wrap from. Uh, we talked about this, I believe it was, it must have been over a year ago at this point, but I thought that it was a really interesting point, is that the the information that got out there about soy being this supposedly risky food, that really only came from one or two studies that were done many years ago at this point. Is that correct? Well, it, what it really came from was animal studies. Um, and in some, in some cases, lab bench studies. Um, and when researchers actually started looking at human beings um, and looking at those who consume soy and those who don't, that's when you started to really see that humans were not like the lab rats at all. They didn't behave like them. Um, and it, there, was, there was one researcher quite a number of decades ago that was really pushing this hypothesis. Um, and it's been completely discredited. Uh, vir virtually every oncologist nowadays knows that soy is actually a cancer preventive. Um, by the way, though, to, to Chuck, I, sh I should mention, some people might be saying, well, wait a minute, you know, why are you promoting soy? We don't necessarily promote it. Um, and, and in case anybody's interested, we are not funded by the soy industry or anything like that. And, um, we, we don't take funding from these food entities. But on the other hand, it's something that could be helpful for people. And it has sort of almost a medicinal effect in a natural way. It's optional. You don't need it, but it's certainly beneficial and not harmful. Here's a question for you. Uh, more and more people are turning to plant-based milks now. Uh, given the fact that we're learning that soy has all of these health benefits to it, would you say that that soy milk would be the healthiest option? I got to say, I really think so. Now, there, there are great options. And the option that works for you is the one that you like the most. So throw out the cow's milk. Um, have almond milk, rice milk, hemp milk, oat milk. But soy milk has a couple of advantages. One is that the balance of macronutrients is better. The others have much less protein. Soy has a nice mixture of protein and natural carbohydrate and a little trace of fat. And so for a lot of people, it's a more nutritious uh, source. It's also the only one that schools will uh, typically say, this meets our guidelines. Um, and also it has the, the isoflavones that kind of work that magic. So um, I, for one, have been happy to see that soy is still there on the shelf, even though all the other uh, milks are coming in. And let's go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag as we do on our Wednesday shows here on the exam room and take a few questions from viewers right now. And we have one from Wendy who's wondering whether, well, about soy milk specifically, should she be drinking the unsweetened version of soy milk versus the sweetened version? Does sugar take away any of those health benefits that we've been talking about? It doesn't. The amount of sugar that, that is in there is really trivial. Um, if you prefer the unsweetened one or if you find you just do better with it, that's fine. But the sweetened ones are A-OK. -okay. All right. Next question comes to us from uh, JL. Big fan of soy milk. Is drinking three cups of it every day too much? Is that just too much fat? Um, it's fine. Um, that's a lot. Um, 
but no, that, there's no known health risk to it. The only, when I say it's a lot, my only thought is you want balance in your life, you know, have some broccoli too, you know, have, have vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans and, and don't make your meals all just, uh, all, all just liquid. Peter has a follow-up to the GMO soy that uh, you were just talking about. He says, my budget's awfully tight. Is it okay if the soy is non-organic? Yeah, I'm, well, it's first of all, it's going to be dramatically better than... If you're having soy bacon, it beats the heck out of bacon that came out of the pig. Um, if you're having soy milk, it beats the heck out of milk that came out of a cow. So whatever, whatever brand you're getting, great. Um, I always encourage people to get organic everything to the extent that they're able to. Naya says, I've been uh, looking in my grocer's freezer, and she says, a lot of times on these vegan meals, I see something called soy protein isolate. What is that, and does that have any of the health benefits that you've been talking about? It's an extremely versatile part of the soybean. They, they, in a bean, there's protein. There are some natural starch. There's a little bit of fat. There's fiber. And what uh, culinary scientists discovered a long time ago is that if you take out the protein and you get it away from the, the starchy part to, to remove that, you can fashion it into a sausage or into bacon or all kinds. I mean, one day they're gonna make snow tires out of this, Chuck. It's amazing. <laughs> um, don't try this at home. Um, but anyway, it's perfectly fine. It is, is it a processed food? Sure. Would you be better off with something that actually looked like a soybean? Probably so. Um, but the soy protein isolates are fine. Important question from Liz. How can I go about having this conversation about soy with my doctor? He has as recently as two weeks ago told me not to eat it. I feel your pain. M may I suggest that you take the study that we just released, uh, the WAVES study, um, which you can actually just print out and share it with your doctor. Or, or if you have a copy of my book, Your Body in Balance, um, every chapter, including the menopause chapter, is carefully referenced. And you can just put in a little post-it note and share that with your doctor. It includes the references to all the soy issues that we've been discussing today. And uh, I do grand rounds at hospitals uh, where all the doctors get together and we talk about these issues together. And, and doctors are eager for, for good new information. And I'm, I'm sure your doctor will be too. Right, let's take a couple of more before we wrap things up here for the day. This is an interesting one from Naveen. Are soy chunks from TVP? healthy. Is that the same as a soy protein isolate? Yeah, it's effectively the same. There are many different variations on the theme, but TVP, textured vegetable protein, goes back decades. It was kind of the original veggie burger, and they're perfectly fine. I think uh, what we need to do is kick around some ideas for a better name than TVP. <laughs> I, it, it's just, I mean, that just to me does not sound appetizing in the least, even though it, it can be quite tasty. How far we have come. Yeah. I'm telling you. Uh, final question. This one is from Mitzi. Uh, boy, this is one I'm sure a lot of women are wondering as well. Is soy safe for pregnant women? Yes, and, and for children as well. Um, keep in mind, when women are pregnant, they get all kinds of unsolicited advice. All of it well-meaning. You need more liver. You need more meat. You need this. You need that. You need the other thing. What you need is a really healthy diet. And the diet should be plant-based you need vitamin B12, you need it, your baby needs it. Um, but soy products are a, a very useful part of that. They've got good protein, they've got very healthy traces of fat, they've got fiber, and can certainly fit into to anybody's diet. 
I'm going to sneak one more in on you. I, I lied there. Bob just sent this one in to me. He said, thank you so very much for talking about prostate cancer. But I'm curious about soy and the effect that it could have on my chest. Is it true that soy <laughs> will, will cause me to grow boobs? Oh, my goodness sakes. Um, the other myth that won't die. Uh, man boobs. Uh, yes, you go into the locker room and that's what guys are talking about. Here's here's what they're saying is that there are guys, a lot of them, who have some enhancement of their breast area. And they're thinking, what caused that? Uh, and somewhere along the line, somebody on the internet said it's, it's soy. And I have to say, you can easily prove that, it, that it's not. Just go to the beach in August. And you'll see a guy there who's gained a little bit of weight and he's pulling his shirt off and he's, you see he's got man boobs. Go right up to him and say, how much tofu have you eaten this week? Um, and he will say to you, what are you talking about? I don't eat tofu. I'm a pizza guy. I eat cheeseburgers. Um, the reason that he has breast enhancement is because as he has gained weight, his fat cells convert testosterone to estrogen. That's what fat cells do they make estrogen. So when guys gain weight, they will get some breast development from the estrogen that's in their blood. It's not from tofu. It's from eating the fattening burgers and pizza and all the things that unfortunately are pervasive in America now. All right, Bob and the other guys who are watching this, listening to us right now, thank you very much. But uh, this this series of podcasts, this is really for the women. And gentlemen, I promise you there will be shows for you in the future. But right now we need to continue our discussion about the WAVES study and tackling hot flashes through diet, helping women through menopause by making changes to their diet. And Dr. Barnard, in the next show, I'm really excited about this one. You have three steps for how women can tackle menopause by changing their diet. That one, I think the practical advice is going to help so many women. I think they will. And by the way, for the men, I don't mean to neglect you. Um, <laughs> uh, my, my book, Your Body in Balance, has plenty of chapters for you too. Um, and it's not just all about uh, that, those kinds of hormones. It's everything from diabetes to thyroid disease male sexual function, prostate cancer. It's all in there. And the recipes, you're going to like them too. So we're not neglecting it. All right. That's going to wrap things up for today. But if you want to hear all about this groundbreaking study, go back on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page and YouTube channel. Look for that first episode where Dr. Barnard really walks us through exactly what the WAVE study was, the groundbreaking, extraordinary results that it provided. Then that will set the plate perfectly for the next episode to tackle menopause through diet. Dr. Barnard, we will talk to you again soon, my friend. Thank you, Chuck. The interviews with Dr. Barnard that are featured in this series have also been posted on YouTube and on Facebook. There are a lot of good visuals in there that can help explain some of the results that he's talking about. So if you would like to watch along and take everything in, there are links to that YouTube channel and Facebook page in the episode notes. So check them out and also share it with your friends. Let's start flipping the script on soy helping out those who feel just like my next guest once did, hopelessly stuck with hot flashes. Menopause was dragging down Anne-Marie Pedrick. With every flare-up, her quality of life went down, and then she stumbled across a little ad for a study that could change her life. It was a study 
about soy. It was a study about plant-based diets and the very thing that she loathed the most, hot flashes. The 12-week study would indeed change her life. And really, as you'll hear, it didn't even take that long. A new study finds that plant-based diets, including soy, can reduce hot flashes, moderate to severe hot flashes, by 84%. I'll say that again, 84%. That's more than four out of every five women. That is an extraordinary finding. And this comes from a brand new study led by us here at the Physicians Committee and Dr. Neil Barnard and our team of researchers. And I'm so thrilled today to have a woman with us who went through this study and experienced these changes firsthand, found some relief, and she's here today to talk about her experience, and I could not be more grateful to have her on the show with us today, Anne-Marie Pedrick. Thank you so very much for being here, Anne-Marie. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate you having me. 84%. I mean, that that is an overwhelming number when you think about the fact that I, I think it's maybe four out of 75% of all women uh, will experience hot flashes. And the typical mm -hmm. treatment I think is, is, you know, here's some medicine and hopefully that will help. But you made a diet change with this, <laughs> with this study here. So I just want to talk to you a little bit about your experience and absolutely, we'll, we'll start with this. I mean, what, what kind of symptoms were you experiencing before the study began? Sure. I was experiencing hot flashes on a regular basis. I was not even aware of how many until I did this study. It became just a part of my life to wake up at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock, five o'clock, all night long. Um, and I would experience them throughout the day. But again, um, I had a full hysterectomy in 2018. And so for two years, I just learned to make it a part of my life and, and I dealt with it. It was unpleasant um, and I wasn't sleeping good. Um, and then I saw this study come up in social media and I thought, well, why not? I'll give it a try. So when you're having these hot flashes and they're waking you up at night, one mm -hmm. of the things I know when I don't get a lot of sleep is I get super grumpy. Um, yes. did that, did that happen with you? I mean, two years is a long time to be sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. Yes. But you know, when you're, when you're over the age of 50 and you know, you've gone through all of these things, you know, you just kind of think, okay, well, I guess this is how it's got to be. And um, you, you just learn to manage with it and, and hope that it'll eventually stop. Um, and, you know, my, my mom and uh, my dad both had, had passed from cancer, and I did not want to take any um, type of hormone replacement. That was a personal choice of mine. So um, I, just, I just suffered through with it. And can you recall maybe one hot flash that was really just knock you over that was just really intense? Not so much. It was just the volume of them. It was just a constant, you know, even in the middle of winter, waking you up in the middle of the night mm. and just making it not a good night's sleep. And this went on two years before you found the study, two years this was going on. Yes. Wow. That is a long time. That is an absolute long time. I would imagine at some point you may have felt kind of hopeless in this situation. I did. Um, you know, I was kind of hoping that maybe when I hit 60, it might go away. Um, but uh, it, it just was something It was kind of one of those things I, I learned to adjust and deal with. But when the study came out, I thought, well, why not? Why not see if I can um, get some help? 
get some improvement. You you mentioned that cancer runs in your family. Do you know if uh, intense hot flashes, frequent hot flashes were also uh, mm-hmm. running uh, yes. in your family? So my mom passed um, before age 60 from breast cancer. And she, I remember in the dead of winter, she would go outside in like shorts and a t-shirt just to cool down. Um, just really having extreme hot flashes. Shorts and t-shirt in a dead of winter. And where was she living in the time? I'm assuming it's not Florida. We live on the East Coast. And so it would have been, you know, 30 degrees out and she would go outside or, you know, stick her head in the freezer. Literally. That is intense. That is intense. Um, So with this, with this study, I mean, it was so focused on diet and Mm -hmm. had you thought about the role that food might be playing in all of this before you stumbled upon the study? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so with a plant-based diet, um, which is one of the things that this study, um, is, is part of it, it requires, uh, I had done some research, but I didn't realize that it had any impact on hot flashes. Um, so I was surprised when, when the two went hand in hand. And what was your diet like before the study in the weeks leading mm-hmm. up to it? Can you give us an example? Sure. So it was a standard American diet, um, you know, fast food and going out to eat and ordering whatever I wanted, a lot of meat, a lot of dairy, uh, and just really not not a good diet. It didn't make me feel good. Um, and, and also, even if I tried to eat something that was healthy, um, it, it was very Americanized or frozen or fast food, et cetera. It, look, you are certainly not alone. That's why they call it the standard American diet. Um, <laughs> I want to ask you though, soy obviously is a huge component of the study as well. You mentioned that your mom unfortunately passed mm-hmm. a breast cancer. And I know that soy and cancer, that is a controversial topic. So yes. what, were, what were your thoughts about soy heading into this? Um, so going into it, I, you know, with this, you know, we were required to, to have soybeans every day and I had no idea. Um, my husband even thought, oh my, what, what kind of weird study has she become a part of? Um, and once, you know, we were educated in the study, um, and we were educated about how, um, there's a lot of misconception about soy and especially soybeans and, and how it does not, um, really affect that. And, and it, it really helped me a lot to reframe and refocus and, and understand. But then also it wasn't just the research that was presented to us. It was how we felt and how I felt as a result of eating the soybeans every day. No question about it. Did they give you a specific menu to follow? What were your instructions? So the instructions were, um, at least a half a cup of soybeans every day. Um, and so I got really good at using an Instapot. I never even used an Instapot before the study. Um, and we could put them with whatever we wanted them with. And I actually learned to really enjoy them. Um, I'd never had them before, to be honest, other than in soy products. And the rest of the diet was a plant-based whole foods diet. And so, um, no dairy, no meat. Uh, and one of the other things is also, um, the fat content other, you know, we were supposed to keep everything under the 2.5, um, grams of fat. And I think that really also impacted how we felt or how I felt during the, during the study. 
Now, I'm assuming that your husband is not experiencing hot flashes as well. So he's not participating in the study, but did he participate in the diet in support of you? Or no, you unfortunately no. he didn't. Oh, no. oh, I know no. it's such a struggle. I wish I wish that he did. It would make my life a lot easier. Um, but you know, he he was supportive. I mean, at, at first, because one of the things that made him become supportive was he said, You're so much happier. Um, and, and then of course, when I started having weight loss and less hot flashes, he, he was like, wow, this is really working for you. And he was, he was surprised. What kind of foods were you, uh, incorporating here? So what else were you doing mm -hmm. beside the soybean? You hadn't done the whole food plant-based diet before. So everything I'm sure was a, was an, a, a new experience for you, but that also means that you're probably finding some pretty neat things that you hadn't tried before yet either. Yes. Yes, like edamame. I'd never had edamame before. Um, so, you know, we, one of the things in the study, we were provided with a lot of good recipes. We had a dietitian who gave us a lot of interesting ideas. Also, just being in the group, um, people would share different things. I think one of the easiest things, um, because of the, the pandemic, I was, I was working from home a lot. And so it was great to just put a whole bunch of different vegetables into the Instapot with the soybeans and, and make like my own homemade vegetable soup soup. And I would have that for lunch a couple of days a week. Um, so it, it was interesting how my, my cooking changed. I still had to cook the two meals cause he still wanted some other stuff. Um, but it, um, it definitely expanded my horizon on different foods. Um, and to this day, it's, it's interesting how some people are like, Oh, but, but cheese, it's so good for you. Why are you not eating it? it, it yeah, cheese is a funny thing. Dairy is a funny thing in general. Um, it's it's so built up as being this uh, magical milk, especially this magical health elixir. Um, and then you see all of the data saying, well, it's not so magical after all. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, when you learn about it, it's really eye-opening. So what we have here, Anne-Marie, is a 12-week study. How mm -hmm. far into the study were you when you first began to notice like, hey, I'm feeling a little bit better? Mm -hmm. So um, the hot flashes started to decrease, I would say, within the first two weeks. Um, we used a, an app that kept track of them. Um, and I think that's when I was also shocked at how many I had because I was starting to keep track of them versus just, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and not not deal, not recognizing it, so to speak. Um, so within the first two weeks, I started to see my hot flashes decrease. And as the weeks went on, um, they lessened even more. In fact, one of the uh, staff members at PCRM reached out to me and like, uh, did you forget to enter your hot flashes the last couple of days? I'm like, no, I didn't have any. So that was a good thing. Um, but then I also started to notice other things. I started to notice, um, I no longer needed sleeping pills. I no longer needed nose spray. I, I no longer needed antidepressants. I averaged about one to two pounds um, of weight loss a week. Some, some weeks I didn't, um, but again, um, I was encouraged by the group and Dr. Barnard and all the other staffs to say, you know, it, it's gonna take time, your body's readjusting. And so then the next week I would still lose. Um, but it was a slow and steady and um, it definitely, I just felt so much better. Um, and so, yeah, it, it took, it took a couple of weeks, but um, I, I would say almost immediately within the first 10 days, I felt it. 
That's so cool when you have those tangible results, whether it's uh, less frequency in your case of hot flashes, mm -hmm. or you step on the scale and you say, wow, that number is, you know, it's two pounds less than it was last mm -hmm. week, you know, and, and that's like such a huge motivation. I remember that being just the coolest thing ever. So I'm really glad that you got the opportunity to experience that as well. Um, you said you didn't need sleeping pills anymore. You were able- no, over to, the counter, yeah. Over, yes. over the counter, right. So, yeah. I mean, talk to me about the quality of sleep you started to get after two long years. I think just not being woken up every couple of hours was, was significant. I think it really helped. Um, I think it was also because um, your body goes into almost like a detox of, all of the junk you've been putting into it and you, you just, um, you just sleep better. I, I, you know, I fall asleep naturally now. So that's a good thing. Have you had the opportunity yet to sleep a full eight hours uninterrupted? Yes, I have. Yes. And what's, yes. what's that like for you? Do you remember the first morning you woke up after eight hours? You're like, Oh my God. I know it's like a shock. Like? <laughs> it, is. It, it definitely is a shock. And you wake up going, wow, that just happened. Okay. Yes. That's so cool. So how would you say overall then your quality of life has improved? It sounds like we're talking about some big time improvements. It has. It has. I have a long way to go. I am still on my weight loss journey. I've lost a few more pounds since the study. Um, you know, it's really interesting because one one component of the study is the, the lower than 2.5 grams of fat. And so, of course, when you go off of the, the study and I didn't have the weekly calls, you know, you do the things like the uh, the burgers that are now out and things like that that have a higher fat content. And so, um, it's interesting. My body will tell me and say, okay, Anne, you're, you're getting into some of the vegan junk food that has the higher fat content. And even though it says vegan on it, you really need to pay attention um, because my body will tell me it's not, it's not a whole food. It's not plant-based. It's, it's not something that, well, not even so much the plant-based, but just the, the whole food of, yeah, you can get it in the frozen section and you can get it already pre-made, but it may not be the best choice for you. And are you still incorporating a lot of soybeans into your diet? I am. I still, like I said, I still make that vegetable soup because that was the easiest way to do that and put that in there and have that for lunch. Um, I, I will say I don't do it every day, but again, my body starts to let me know because some of the hot flashes will come back and it's like, hello, you need to, you need to bring these back in because, you know, it's, it's interesting how much more aware I am of, of just my body not feeling good. I have had some things go on that are out of my control that I've had to deal with. And so my body says, um, yeah, you need to get back to, to really being compliant and, and making better choices. And so um, it's not something I'm ever going to change. You know, I used to I used to love coffee with half and half in it. Um, but now I, I love oat milk. And so I'm completely switched to that and just little changes like that that um, I, I just can't imagine ever going back. I, I just imagine myself going even further and not stopping and just learning to um, make more recipes, uh, you know, I, whether it's, you know, getting different cookbooks, um, you know, different, there's so many different magazines out there now that actually have different recipes in them and on the, on the internet. So my goal is to continue um, and really just get my, get my, get, get, get even healthier, so to speak. I was going to say my stamina, but 
Well, look, you know, I, I think that you are. I think that uh, you're you're definitely locked in on this health journey. I think that you're going to do fantastically yeah. in the future because you already have experienced how good it is so far and you can yes. keep going. And and I'm pretty sure you have to be optimistic that you feel good now, but you can feel even better down the line. Yeah. When I went to my doctor a month ago or maybe two months ago, I forget, but um, it's the first time she had seen me in the pandemic and she's, you know, she's typing at her little computer and she looks, she, she looks at the computer and then she looks up at me and she goes, Oh my gosh, you've had weight loss. When did that happen? <laughs> um, and then I explained to her what I was doing and she was very supportive and, and just, you know, keep at it. And, you know, even if it's only a couple of pounds a month, just keep at it. And, you know, you'll, the, I think the benefits of just the feeling better, it, like you said, um, it really motivates you to keep going. No question about it. And I would imagine another, you know, big motivator is your improved mood. You mentioned that your husband mm -hmm. said that like, you seem so much happier. Did anybody else, you know, pick up on that? Not really. Um, you know, it was a hard time of year. It was, it was Thanksgiving and Christmas and, um, people thought I was really nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that, you know, and of course I even went to a cookout and I, I brought my veggie burgers and people were like, yeah, what are you doing? Why? Um, so, you know, I think until you experience it and you just, you, you go through it yourself, you don't know. And so I think that was, that's, that's something that, you know, they might've noticed I was happier, but again, it was also the, you know, when we were all in lockdown and so people weren't seeing me that much. Right. Right. But real talk as uncomfortable as those situations can be where mm -hmm. you feel like such an outcast, but you tap into this inner strength and you find out just how powerful you are when you're able to go to those types of events and not cave to mm -hmm. peer pressure and you stay on your path your path mm -hmm. alone. So um, I'm sure that that was also a great feeling to you. You got a sense yes. of pride leaving there that day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And final question for you is this, um, what would your message be to somebody who was in your position uh, at the time where you were looking for the study? You hadn't sure. gone through these changes yet. What would you say to that woman? Well, I really wasn't looking for the study. It just kind of happened upon me and it was it was on a whim and I knew I needed to do something health wise and, and all of these different things were affecting me. And one of those being the hot flashes. Um, but it was really interesting. The group that we had, there was so many women. Um, I was probably the largest individual in the group. Um, but there was women that didn't even need to lose any weight and the incredible experience that they felt um, by following this diet and, and incorporating soybeans into their diet, um, you know, it was life changing for them. And to watch that, that I would highly recommend if, you know, women have any type of hormonal imbalance or hormonal issues, um, it's definitely worth looking into because it, it will make you feel better. And Marie Patrick, you've made me feel better today. And I'm sure that you've done that also for the thousands of women who are listening and watching to us uh, or watching us here today as well. So thank you so very much for uh, your time and congratulations on the study and, and feeling so much better. That's fantastic. Well, maybe in another year, I'll, I'll email you again and say, look at how much else I've lost. That's the goal. I'm looking forward to it. I have no doubt that you'll get there. Thank you. You have to be happy for Anne-Marie, don't you? I mean, this is someone who saw so much improvement. 
And the changes that she made for this study really set into place the pieces for her to get healthy in other areas as well. And that's something that we should all be celebrating. And if you think back to part one in this series, when we also heard from Margot LaMarche, who, like Anne-Marie, participated in the study, she regained her health as well, extinguished her hot flashes. And she spoke so beamingly about all of the ways that her life has improved and how thrilling that is. And so hopefully, if you're hearing this now, and you're still experiencing those symptoms, you're in the thick of the struggle, hopefully you're becoming intrigued and inspired to take a deeper look for yourself. You know, the WAVE study found that six out of 10 women were able to eliminate hot flashes altogether. But even those who weren't, we're talking about tremendous improvement, an 84% reduction in moderate to severe hot flashes. And as we've been talking about, that can be a total game changer. A life changer, in fact. Now, we still have one episode to go in this three-part series. Maybe we've saved the best for last. You got science in part one, the facts in part two today, and next you will learn how to put everything into action. Dr. Barnard will be returning with a three-step plan for you to tackle menopause. So that way, if you are intrigued, if you are inspired, you can try it out for yourself and hopefully find the relief you've been looking for. Also on the next show, we'll be looking at menopause from another angle, the intimate angle. For a lot of women, sex can stop after they go through the change of life. But Dr. Christy Cobb will be here to show us how and why it does not have to be that way. Dr. Cobb works with women to make their sex life sing, even late in life. And that is a conversation you are not going to want to miss. But right now, if you're ready to start making those changes, but you feel like you could use a little bit of help along the way, well, the doctors and dietitians at the Barnard Medical Center would love to work with you. And telemedicine visits are available. So you can get all of the help that you need right at home or on the go, wherever you are. Make your appointment today. Log on to barnardmedical.org. That's barnardmedical.org. Or pick up the phone and call 202-527-7500. You can get a full list of states where services are available. Make that appointment. And yes, insurance is accepted. 202-527-7500. Or log on to barnardmedical.org. And for today, that's going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you once again to Dr. Neil Barnard, as well as Anne-Marie Petrick for joining us today. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.